Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Our text this morning is Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. The topic, Philip is sent to the desert on a mission to inform the Ethiopian eunuch that the person he is reading about is none other than Jesus Christ. The title of our message, Operation Desert Inform. Acts 8, beginning in verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. Sitting in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the Scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and, beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Let's pray. Father, we pause for prayer because without your presence here teaching us, we're not going to learn the things that you want us to know about the love of Jesus Christ for each of us individually, all of us corporately, and the world in general. Guide us through these words and these verses and this marvelous story of Philip, the missionary evangelist, and his encounter with this Ethiopian brother. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Which statement is more true? Number one, the Ethiopian was a man of great power, authority, and wealth. Or number two, the Ethiopian was impotent, enslaved, and impoverished. Well, the answer depends on your perspective. From an earthly perspective, he was a man of great power, authority, and wealth. But from a heavenly perspective, he was impotent, enslaved, and impoverished. His occupation was to maintain the great treasure of Candace, queen of Ethiopia. It was as high as he could rise in their government. Yet for all his worldly success, he was on a spiritual pilgrimage to find genuine meaning to his life. Along the desert road in Gaza, when hope seemed lost, 
he encountered Philip by God's divine appointment. Here was a man of spiritual power and authority. Here was a man who didn't simply maintain a treasure, he contained one. Believers are described in the New Testament as having the treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ in earthen vessels, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. The earthen vessels are our frail human bodies. Nevertheless, we've been given the power and the authority to share a message that is the greatest treasure in all the universe how to have your sins forgiven and receive eternal life. As we work through these verses, we'll note the stunning contrast between these two men and especially their relationship to treasure. I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, your life is more than maintaining earthly treasures that fail to satisfy. And number two, your life is meant to contain heavenly treasures that fully satisfy. First of all, in verses 26 through 35, your life is more than maintaining earthly treasures that fail to satisfy. Why send Philip, a lay minister, to meet the Ethiopian along the desolate desert road when there were more qualified apostles already in Jerusalem who could have had lunch with him at Starbucks there? I mean, seriously, think about that for a minute. If you, if you and I are looking at this situation, the Ethiopian eunuch, he's going to be in Jerusalem. Apostles are in Jerusalem. They're not doing much. They're not mentioned in Acts at this point. Just link up with one of those guys. Instead, God looks at that and he says, we're going to wait until he's on the Gaza road in the desert. I'm going to send Philip out there and we're going to have this amazing encounter that we read about in Acts. Now, we read about it in hindsight, and we think, wow, this is the most fantastic story. I mean, this is fabulous, God. But from the other perspective, if we had to plan this, that's how we would have done it. We would have sent Bartholomew or one of the other apostles. And it's just a reminder to us that God has his own wisdom that can at first seem like foolishness to us. It's a strong reminder to remain open to the leading of God rather than depending upon our own common sense. Common sense is a great thing. I wish I had it. I've been looking for it my whole life. Sanctified common sense, uh, a, a, a Christian's common sense uh, based upon the Scripture, a great thing. And I'm not saying that we should do foolish things for the sake of foolishness, but sometimes God is going to lead us in ways we don't understand, and we need to at least be open to that, or we're going to miss some of these kinds of things. Now, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Luke almost nonchalantly tells you that an angel spoke to Philip. By now in the book of Acts, you are ready for all manner of supernatural occurrences. It's just he doesn't have to explain the ministry of angels or why God is using angels. Or he just says, oh, by the way, an angel spoke to Philip and told him to go down to the road. Now, let's recall that Philip was in Samaria leading a great revival. Seemingly at the height of the success, he is called upon to leave the work He's given no more information than his destination, which is simply to hang out along a desert road. Now, everybody knew that the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza was a desert. And so when Luke says this is desert, he is doubly emphasizing how desolate this is compared to where 
Philip is, and not just physically, but spiritually, leading a great revival. When we last saw Philip, he was there in Samaria. The, uh, Peter and John had just come down, laid hands on the disciples. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then God says, I want you to leave all of that fruitful work and just go hang out on the desert road in Gaza. It requires a real sense of submission to entertain this kind of leading. Kudos to Philip. And so he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, this man of Ethiopia may have been a Jew whose family had settled there during a previous dispersion. He may have been somebody like Daniel was to Nebuchadnezzar a dispersed Jew who worked his way up through the Ethiopian government, more likely, and church history, uh, or church tradition rather, tells us that he was a native Ethiopian, a Gentile man who had heard about the God of Israel from uh, the settlement of Jews either in his country or close by in Alexandria, Egypt. Men in the employ of the queen were castrated, rendering them eunuchs incapable of producing children. It was an effective deterrent to coup attempts in an era when power was passed down through families by succession. Candace, by the way, is a title like Pharaoh and not a proper name. So if you know anybody named Candace, start calling them the Candace. Uh, you know, and it, we did this to a gal one time on a missions trip, and it was terrible. But anyway, <laughs> you had to understand how fun it was, though, for us. The Ethiopian... It says here, had come to worship. The word used indicates a spiritual pilgrimage. He was sincerely seeking the truth, desiring to be spiritually satisfied. Just to add to that, this may have been a once-in-a-lifetime moment for him, a trip that he had planned for a long, long time. Have you ever planned a, a trip that, you know, to someplace that, that you've really, I mean, you can't wait to get there? And you've been saving for it and reading brochures about it and just getting excited about it. And, and this is a big sense of expectation. And then I love this because in verse 28, it starts off by saying, was returning. Now, if I'm, tra if I'm putting the chapter and verse breaks in the Bible, I would put that at the end of chapter, uh, verse 27, wouldn't you? But the, the, we have it here at the beginning of verse 28 for emphasis because it, the idea is that it, it, he was returning to his regular life having received no help or hope in Jerusalem. This trip that I was talking about that you planned your whole life to take, it'd be like getting there and realizing you had left the tickets at home and you were going to miss the event. Or you get there and you're ready to go and then you get the flu and you're sick the entire time, and you miss the event, whatever it is. Or it's just a dud. You know, some places that are really hyped are really a dud. How many, have you, has anybody ever really seen the Sphinx? Raise your hand if you've seen the Sphinx. It's tiny. I used to think the Sphinx was this humongous thing. It's not very big in real life. And the nose, what's with the nose? <laughs> Fix the Sphinx nose, I say. Anyway. So he was let down. He was returning. He did have one thing. Apparently, he had purchased at great cost a scroll of the book 
of the prophet Isaiah. Luke mentions his chariot. Now, you have to get a big picture here. This guy would be traveling with a much larger group. He'd have soldiers to protect him like secret service agents and servants who waited upon him, probably a few friends of his as well. This was more like a caravan, not massive, but quite a few people. And then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. How long had Philip been hanging out along the road wondering what God had in mind? We're not told, but it could have been a substantial period of time. We admire Philip's faithfulness. And knowing Philip's heart, knowing how God had gifted him with the gift of evangelism, I'm sure that he at least wondered at each passing chariot or every passing traveler Perhaps this is a person God wants me to minister to or speak to, and yet he waits patiently on the side of that dusty road. Now, the larger group surrounding the Ethiopian would be traveling on foot. His chariot was moseying along at a pace that made it possible to catch up with it. Uh, This wasn't like the chariot race in Ben-Hur. Philip didn't all of a sudden have, you know, mercury wings or something. It's nothing miraculous. He had to jog a little bit to catch up with the chariot, but it was doable. And uh, so an angel had sent Philip. Now the Spirit of God whispers within him to go near and overtake this particular chariot. And so as we, uh, kind of as a sub-theme, you see the leading of the Holy Spirit Uh, He spoke to him through an angel. Now the Spirit of God, God has multiple means for leading you, and, and we just need to be open to them and responsive to them. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? The Ethiopian was reading aloud, which was the custom in those days. Philip must have been blown away to hear Isaiah being quoted. This was the guy he was sent to inform about Jesus. I mean, there must have been a witness in his heart and an excitement welling up in him, knowing now that God had been preparing this individual. Verse 31, and the Ethiopian said, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. Apparently, this was the newer customized two-seater chariot. Or maybe he had it pimped out in Jerusalem while he was there. I don't know. Early show, pimp my chariot. But uh, God had been prepping the heart of this Ethiopian. Based upon the fact that God so loved the world, I think we should expect that he is prepping the hearts of people we encounter. And food for thought, God has a fill-up for anyone sincerely seeking him. One aspect of this story is the great lengths that God went to to bring the gospel to this one man. He met him along a lonely desert road in between Jerusalem and Ethiopia by sending one of his servants. People act like they're extremely worried all the time when you share with them because there might be people in remote parts of the planet who are not hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what about them? How can they get saved? One answer to that is that God has a Philip for them. 
Uh, he's perfectly able to get the gospel to everyone who is a sincere seeker of him. And so in verse 32, the place in the scripture which he read was this, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away and who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. Coincidence? Providence that he was reading this section? I want to call it a God incidence because the Lord was directing all of this. And so the eunuch answered verse 34 and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? The Jews taught that Isaiah was talking about Israel as a nation or about himself or about some other prophet. The Ethiopian may have asked them this question in Jerusalem. At any rate, he was unsatisfied with their answer or his own ability to answer it. None of those really fit. We know that Isaiah was speaking about the coming Messiah of Israel, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. Then Philip opened his mouth, verse 35, and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Philip, I mean, this is a great open door, no doubt. Uh, you know, and you can begin right there. But it's a, re a reminder to us, we want to begin where people are at. I have favorite things I like to talk about, but they may not be meaningful to other people. And so I want to know how God is prepping their heart, what God is using to open their heart, and at least gain entry and then move into other areas from there. The passage in Isaiah describes what we would call the substitutionary atonement of Jesus. I'm hopeful and sure that Philip put it more simply, describing how Jesus Christ came and substituted himself as a sacrifice for our sins. The eunuch already knew a great deal about Judaism and the Jewish faith and the way of approaching God, and so it was uh, built in, you know, was the understanding of many things so that Philip could show him how Jesus fulfilled their symbolism. Because Jesus was God and therefore sinless, his sacrifice was acceptable. Because Jesus was also man, he could take the place of mankind. Where Philip went from there is anybody's guess, but it was enough that the Ethiopian understood that he was a sinner in need of a Savior, and he was saved that day. This Ethiopian had risen to the highest rung on his career ladder. He was the one who maintained the great treasure of Ethiopia. From an earthly perspective, men and women are climbing career ladders every day. Even if you get to the very top, the best you can hope for is to be maintaining earthly treasures. For sure, you will have more of them than people on the rungs below you. But so what? What do you achieve if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Earthly treasures have a tendency to become your master rather than your servant. While you are busy tending them, the things that truly matter in life can easily slip away from you. There are many testimonies of incredibly wealthy folks who nevertheless were and are spiritually unsatisfied. Your life is more than pursuing and then maintaining corruptible earthly treasures that will ultimately fail to satisfy the deepest needs of your heart. The wealthiest man in the world without Jesus 
is an impotent, enslaved, impoverished sinner in need of the free gift of salvation. And that brings us to verses 36 through 40, where we see that your life is meant to contain heavenly treasures that fully satisfy. Philip contained heavenly treasures in his frail human body. He was indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. He had the gospel of Jesus Christ to share. You'd never know it to see him sitting there as this magnificent caravan passed by, but it proved to be true. Now, who would you rather be in this story before you know the story, before you're a Christian? Hey, here's, here's the two possibilities. You can rise to the highest level of government, be in charge of one of the greatest treasures of the world, be an important person, travel with soldiers and servants and, you know, visit foreign, far off places. Or you can be an itinerant evangelist hanging out on the side of the road, maybe with a water skin, waiting for a caravan to come by, not really even knowing what you're doing there, taken away from the only success that you'd ever really known as a minister. Who do you want to be in that story? Well, we want to be Philip, but only because we've read the story and we know it. The world wants to be the Ethiopian. The world is the Ethiopian. Well, what a sad and tragic choice that is. However, the Ethiopian, he becomes a container too. He receives the Lord. He takes on the Holy Spirit and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 36, now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, water, what hinders me from being baptized? Water baptism was important to these first Christians. It was important to Jesus Christ. It ought to be important to us. However, we are quick to add that it does not save you. We just saw in the previous story, a few verses behind this, Simon the sorcerer got baptized to no avail. And so we want to have a proper perspective on the importance and necessity of baptism. Now, something interesting I'll just throw out for your further study. Jesus gave the great commission saying we should go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's in Matthew 28, 19. Philip does exactly that. In fact, Philip's activity in this section are kind of an illustration of what Jesus might have meant in the Great Commission. Philip goes by the leading of God, makes a disciple from another nation, baptizes him, and then he goes on to another place and does the same thing. And so it's, it's a very interesting practical picture of what Jesus meant. I also want to note this in passing, food for thought. How much discipling did the Ethiopian receive? Well, not much. We don't know how long Philip was with him, certainly not very long. Now, I think one-on-one discipling is important, but it is not as necessary always as we make it out to be. I just throw that out to you. Uh, I think a lot of times people feel like unless they have, you know, it's become popular the last few years in the regular culture to have mentors. I used to eat mentos, but, uh, you know, I, all of a sudden, I don't remember the term mentor until a few years ago. It's one of these new catchwords. Everybody has a mentor. Uh, and, and so, 
you know, and, and you know what happens, this is just my own personal theory, but I think stuff comes into the popular culture and then we want to be like the popular culture. In, in a sense, it's like the children of Israel, they said, we want to have a king. Other nations have kings, how come we can't have a king? And God says, well, I'm your king. Okay, great, but we want to have a real king. We, we want to have a, a guy who's a king, you know, and stuff. And so the Lord says, okay, Samuel, go find him a king. And they, they chose the worst possible king, it turns out, Saul. He looked good, tall guy, handsome guy, strong guy, like me. But uh, <laughs> he just was a bad king, you know. And, 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 and so I think a lot of times the church, we don't realize how heavily influenced we are by things. And so, so this, there's this mentor movement. Nobody's per, nobody can achieve anything anymore unless they have a mentor, and so we're all looking to be mentors or be mentoring and stuff. Now, yes, we want to disciple people, but that doesn't necessarily indicate a one-on-one -on -one situation all the time. Whenever I go to a Bible study, I am being discipled. Whenever I hear a Bible study, whenever I attend church, I mean, there's a lot of ways of approaching this. And so all I'm saying is that God is the one who said, go and disciple people, and then he sends Philip to this guy, he makes a disciple of him, and then he, and then he snatches him away from him. And so it, just hold that in mind sometimes. Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. When godly men translate the Bible, they use the best and most reliable existing manuscript copies. Your Bible either omits this verse or it says in the margin that it isn't found in every early manuscript that we have on hand. And thus, verse 37 may or may not be part of the inspired Word of God. If it isn't inspired, it is still accurate. We know from church history that those who were recognized as uh, candidates for baptism gave a verbal confession of faith in Jesus Christ that He was God's Son and their Savior. Verse 38, so he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Remember I told you that his chariot was part of a larger caravan. You don't command the chariot to stand still if it's a one-man vehicle with no one ahead of you or behind you. It wasn't a voice-activated chariot. It wasn't a Lexus. It was a Chevrolet, you know. You didn't just say, chariot, stop. And so he commanded this caravan to stop because he was going to get baptized. And think about it. Now, just think if you're Philip and you're the Ethiopian, you're in this situation, you've got soldiers and servants and some family members perhaps or whoever's traveling with you. Hey, we're going to stop right now and here's what we're going to do. And I can see Philip preaching the gospel to these people and say, hey, we're going to have a baptism. Let me explain what baptism is to you. Your buddy here, the Ethiopian eunuch from Acts chapter 8, he just received Christ as his Savior. And that's what this means. And now he's going to give a public show of that. And, and I'm sure Philip used this opportunity to preach. At any rate, he stops and he gives a public testimony. It was a 200-mile journey back to Ethiopia. It would take a few days and nights. Do you think they had some campfire meetings along the way? You think the Ethiopian shared Christ with them? Do you think some of them got saved? I think so. Now, here's a possible message he may have developed. The Ethiopian had come to worship God according to the law of God. 
Remember before I told you how excited he was to go to Jerusalem and, and I mean, this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to worship? At some point in his approach to God, the priest would have stopped him and read to him Deuteronomy 23, verse 1. He who is emasculated by crushing or mutilation shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Hey, it's great that you're here from Ethiopia. I can see you're a sincere seeker of God. We'll take your tithe, but you can't really go very far in this assembly because the law says uh, no eunuch can do that. Oh, my. How sad. Doesn't it make you want to cry? You travel 200 miles at great expense to worship God only to discover that a man in his condition could not fully enter in. But wait, he had in his possession the scroll of Isaiah. He'd been reading it, chapter 53. In chapter 56, he would read this. Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, the Lord has utterly separated me from his people, nor let the eunuch say, here I am, a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Wow, again, he could find grace in Jesus Christ even in the Old Testament. What the law could not give him, Jesus Christ would provide for him. Ever wonder why, why is it an Ethiopian eunuch so that you can see this contrast between the, the law and grace? Now back to our text in verse 39. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Hold your thoughts on Philip for a moment. Let's finish with our Ethiopian brother. He went on his way rejoicing. Church history describes a thriving Christian community in North Africa, and church tradition attributes it to this one man who was saved on the desert road in Gaza. This Ethiopian only had the scroll of Isaiah. He only had a few moments of discipling, but it was enough to lead others to Jesus Christ and to lead a revival in North Africa. No matter how little you know or think you know about Jesus, if you are saved, then it is enough to help others receive him. Back to the baptism. As they were leaving the water, Philip was caught away. It's amazing how many of the commentators try to show that this meant that they were so ecstatic with joy that you know, Philip somehow got lost in the shuffle and they took off and he got left there and then he walked to Azotus from there. Uh, what's the problem with people? I mean, at, the same commentators who admit that God was doing miraculous things in the first century, even though they don't think he's doing it now, why not just let Philip be raptured the way he was? I mean, he, they come up out of the water, whether it's while the eunuch is coming up from his baptism or while they're walking out of the water, Philip is gone, supernaturally snatched away from there, and he finds himself somewhere else. Why transport Philip supernaturally to another location? Any answer we give would be pure speculation. So here's one. <laughs> now, a lot of times people will say, I mean, they'll say things like, well, this is why God transported Philip. Well, we don't know. But it is interesting to just think about and to speculate on. 
if you are Philip, think of what you know about Philip and how God has used him in the past and what gifts and abilities he has. If you are Philip, you want to go to Ethiopia and lead a revival. In fact, you think that's probably what God wants you to do. Wouldn't you? That's what I would think. I would think, oh, Lord, this is great. I was in Samaria leading a revival. I followed your leading to the desert road. You want me to go lead a revival in Ethiopia. That's way cool. I've got the gift of evangelism. I'm willing to go. I don't seem to have any ties to, you know, uh, to family or anything like that. I'm, I'm down with it. I, there's a place for me here in the chariot. I mean, this is perfect timing. At the very least, you'd feel an obligation to disciple the Ethiopian for a time. But God acted in such a way as to reveal his will to both men. And again, God does something that we wouldn't have done. We would have gone to Ethiopia. We would have discipled him. But God says, that's not how my glory is going to be revealed in and through this situation. But instead, Philip, verse 40, was found at Azotus. And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. I wonder how long it took him to figure out where he was. I mean, chances are he didn't get transported to the city limit sign, you know. You're about to enter Azotus, population 1,200 or something. You know, I, I don't think it was like that. Or did it take a few minutes to shake off the disorientation of being transported? Well, I mean, there, you know, think about it. I come up out of the water. I'm looking at my new Ethiopian brother. Where am I? Lord, what are you doing? Looking for a sign, gets out his GPS, you know, and I don't know where I am. What's cool about this is that it pictures for us the idea that it doesn't matter where you are in the world. Wherever you are, you are to see yourself as simply passing through and along the way sharing about Jesus. Again, back to the picture of the Great Commission. Go, Jesus said, and the word means as you are going. And so that's what Philip did. He says, man, as I'm going, as I'm going through Samaria, I'll talk about Jesus. The Lord sends him to the Gaza uh, desert. He says, I'll talk about Jesus. I want to go to Ethiopia. Whoops, I'm in Azotus. I'll talk about Jesus until I end up at Caesarea. 20 years from this episode, we'll get there in about Acts chapter 21, we're going to encounter Philip, and he's still in Caesarea, by that time, he's the proud father of four daughters who serve the Lord with the gift of prophecy. They had meetings of the church in his home. And he would show hospitality to the Apostle Paul who stopped there on his way to Jerusalem. Now, think about that. Philip, in our story, has been run out of Jerusalem by Saul, who would become the Apostle Paul, Saul who was persecuting the church. 20 years down the road, after a, law, after a career as a missionary and an evangelist, settled there at Caesarea, Paul would come back through and enjoy the hospitality of that man. I bet they had some things to talk about. Uh, that would have been a conversation, you know. You know, they have all these television shows where they talk to famous people and you listen and you think, what do I care, you know, about this. These are guys that you'd want to hear talk about the early days and about how the Lord used them. We would say that Philip had an incredibly rich and fulfilling life serving the Lord. He was an outstanding deacon. He was an anointed evangelist. He was a seasoned missionary. And maybe more than all of that, 
he became a great dad, and he raised a wonderful Christian family. Your life is meant to contain heavenly treasures that ultimately satisfy. If you're a Christian, you already have the indwelling Holy Spirit, you already have the treasure of the gospel in an earthen vessel. You can also have treasure waiting for you in heaven as reward for your serving God on the earth. We're told to invest in heaven. And you can have treasure on earth as you give birth first to disciples, but maybe more importantly to your own children who go on to know and love and serve the Lord. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these biographical pictures of our brother Philip. We appreciate his gifting and his enabling. More than that, your leading and your plan for his life. We thank you for the points of contact between our life and his life and the things that we can glean for ourselves and apply in our own situations. I pray that we would be more and more a people who are not interested in just maintaining earthly things, but who know that we contain the greatest treasure in the universe and want to share it with others as we're going through this world wherever we find ourselves. And like Philip, Laura, that we would have a sense of a rich and fulfilling spiritual life, family that walks with you and loves you, uh, homes that are open to Christian hospitality, just a normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill but unusual Christian life. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand together. As is our habit, some of our guys will be down here in the front immediately after the service. They'd love to pray with you or hear from you, uh, help you in any way that we can. Uh, if you're a man and you want to sign up for the Men's Discipleship Conference on uh, June 16th, grab a ticket in the cafe. Wednesday morning, the men are together in the cafe at 6.30, from 6.30 to 7.15 for a devotion. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount. We're midway through chapter 6 of Matthew. And then Wednesday night, we'll be together for our midweek fellowship. Let's not look ahead any further than that uh, because we believe that the Lord can come at any minute take us home to be with him, to be in that place that he's prepared for us. May God bless and keep you in Jesus' name. Amen.